but uh, so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 118 this morning. And no, I didn't just decide to go a psalm in front of where David's been just to be funny. Um, uh, It it just happened that way. Uh, As I was thinking about what I wanted to speak with you about this morning, um, one of the things that I kept reading about, um, I read a lot of articles, news articles online. I don't watch a lot of TV anymore, but um, there's a lot of anxiety in our world. There's a lot of apprehension. There's a lot of fear. Um, and one of the overwhelming themes that you see over and over again in the news is people just not feeling like prepared for what's coming in our world. A lot of apprehension. I just thought, you know, growing up, one of the things that I wanted so much for myself, one of those kind of ideals that I set for myself, I, the kind of person I wanted to be, was a person of confident faith, right? We've all had people in our lives who, when you looked at them, it was just one of those kind of people that didn't seem to ever get rattled, right? That when they faced really difficult things, they just did it with this air of confidence in God, this sense of faith that things were going to work out, right? And sometimes you think, well, maybe on, maybe on the inside they're not that way, or maybe in private they're not that way, but, but you... You just, I don't know if you've known people like that, but I have. And I wanted to be that kind of person. And so I thought, this morning, that's what I want to talk about. And so as I was looking through Scripture, Psalm 18 just popped out at me um, as a wonderful passage to talk about confident faith. As I was growing up, there was a poem that made a lot, uh, had a lot of meaning for me by Rudyard Kipling. It's called If. And I have uh, used this poem a lot with uh, people, especially when I've had someone in my office who maybe wasn't quite ready for, you know, as as I work with uh, sailors and marines, who wasn't quite ready for scripture, but maybe if I said, well, okay, look up the poem If and go read it. It's one of my favorite poems, but the very first line of it is, if you can keep your head about you when all those around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Can you be that kind of person? And the end of the poem is, then you'll be a man, my son, right? It's a father talking to his son about what he expects of him as a man. But the very first thing he says is, can you keep your head? Can you keep your calm? Can you be confident? Even when everyone else around you is losing theirs, and especially when they blame you for the chaos. Can you be that calm presence? I think of what the chaplain corps has asked us to be time after time in the military, right? To be a calming presence, sometimes in the midst of the most chaotic things you can think of. War, battle, death, injury. Can you come into a a moment in the midst of chaos and not succumb to the chaos, but actually bring calm to the chaos? Can you walk into the hospital room? Can you walk into the funeral home? Whatever it is, where there is pain, where there is sorrow, where there is chaos. And can you bring a calming presence? And this morning I want to talk about confident faith. What it means to be that kind of person. So we're going to look at Psalm 118. Now Psalm 118 is one of those passages, just so you know, um, in, in, in churches that are more liturgical, you'll see this. This is an Easter psalm. It is, song, it is read every single Easter. It's in the lectionary, every calendar year of the lectionary for, for Easter. Because it talks about this idea of victory, this talk, uh, idea of faith. And we're going to see at the very end, it talks about the cornerstone. 
right? The, the stone that the builders rejected that has now been made the cornerstone. And so it's very much uh, hearkening towards the Messiah. Uh, it seems to be a psalm that was written by a king, at least some kind of leader. In fact, they think that the psalm was written by King Hezekiah, and I'm going to kind of run with that a little bit this morning um, as we talk about this psalm. We're not for sure about that, but it seems like it was written. And King Hezekiah was an, was an incredible king. In fact, of Scripture says about him that there was no king like it before him, and there was no king like him after him, which is pretty high praise for a king. It's also a song, a psalm that is sung uh, in, in, by the Jews during Passover. There are three hymns that are sung before they eat the meal, and there are two that are sung after. This is one of those two that's sung after the Passover meal. It is possible that at the Last Supper, when it says that Jesus and his apostles sang a hymn before they left, that this was the psalm that they sang. That is, it's possible. I don't, we don't, again, we don't know that for sure. But it's possible that this song was one that was sung. This is an important psalm in the history of not just the Israelite uh, people, but uh, Christians as well. Now, some of that's educated guessing, what I just talked about. But one thing we know for sure is that the person who wrote this psalm was a person of very deep and abiding faith. Someone who had come through the fire and had been built a confident faith in God's saving power and in his love. And so there's four things that I'm going to pull out. There's so many more you could take from this psalm, but we're going to look at just four things this morning to kind of pull out to help us build a confident faith in our Lord and Savior. The first comes from the first four verses, where he, he begins with like this. He says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. There's a reason that is a repetitive refrain. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament. In fact, there are psalms that just repeat it over and over again. Because it's one of those phrases that was sung in, 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 in the worship that the Israelites had. When, when the priests or someone would get up and enumerate the mighty things that God has done, the response that the people would have would be, His love endures forever. That is who God is. Now, the word for love here in the, in the Jewish language, in the, in the Hebrew language, is chesed, all right? That is a faithful love, a showing of kindness and affection. In Psalm 51, as David has been confronted by the, the, the prophet Nathan, right, and he's, he's begging God for mercy, he says, God, show me, show me forgiveness because of your chesed, because of your faithful love to me. God, David appeals to that kind of love the kind of love that God has for us, often translated as loving kindness, unfailing love, steadfast love. This is the kind of love that God has, the kind of love that endures, the kind of love that goes on forever. And so the psalmist begins by calling out to God's love. One step, probably the first step, I would say, towards building a confident uh, faith in us is believing that God is who he says he is, right? That the Lord who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, really is that. 
to believe that the God of Scripture is who he says he is, that, that the Bible doesn't lie, that the God he delivers, who never fails, who constantly fights for his people, that that is who God is. To believe the prophets, the teachers, the kings, the apostles, those who bore and spoke for God and those who witnessed what God has done, that they're telling the truth, that that is who God is. And I think even more importantly for us today, that even when the circumstances of my life would not say that God is a loving God, I still believe that he is, that his love endures forever. Do you believe that is good all of the time and that all of the time God is good? Is that a hallmark of your faith? Is that a foundation to your faith? That no matter what happens in your own life, God does not change. How can we ever be confident, faithful people if the situations of our life dictate what we think about God? Well, things aren't going so well, so God must not be there for me. God must not be good. No, God is the same when we celebrate and when we mourn. Whether I'm in the hospital room, the boardroom, the unemployment line, or the corner office, top of the class, or failing out, in victory and defeat, God is the same. And we need to, in all circumstances, declare that his love endures forever. The second thing that we see in this psalm is that the writer says that he's taken that belief in God, right? That God's love endures forever, and he's actually relied upon it when he found himself in distress. He says, when hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I love that. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. And I don't think he's saying I look in triumph once we've beaten them. I think he's saying I look in triumph as they're still at my gates. Now, again, we don't know if this is Hezekiah, but if this is Hezekiah speaking, then this psalm likely refers to a very specific time in the life of Judah, right? The uh, the kingdoms had been divided um, after Solomon, and, and Hezekiah was king over Judah. And the, the story is found in 2 Chronicles 32. We find the story of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria, his father, the king, had taken over a vast sum of the land, uh, especially of, of Israel. And, but his son, Sennacherib, decides, I'm going to do even more. I'm going to take even more. And so he comes and he starts conquering city after city, okay? cities with fortified walls. He lays siege to them and he just conquers them one after the other. And as he's taking over the city of Lachish, which was the second most important city besides Jerusalem, as he's sieging that city and going to take it over, he sends word to Jerusalem to say, you're next. (laughs) All right, when I'm done here, I'm coming for you. Okay? And, and, And he even brags about having Hezekiah hemmed up like a bird in a cage. Hezekiah didn't know what to do. That's, that's Sennacherib's own words. So he's threatening to lay siege to Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah, he, he, he begins to lead all these projects to, to fortify the walls of the city. He digs a, 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 a tunnel through the city to supply water that you can still go through today. It still exists. And then as, as, as Sennacherib sends word to Jerusalem, he sends a messenger. 
And the messenger comes, and he, wants to, he doesn't want to talk to Hezekiah. He doesn't want to talk to leaders. He, wanted, he wants to talk to the people. Oh, and uh, Hezekiah had even tried to bribe Sennacherib by, by giving all this silver to him, and, and that wasn't enough. Sennacherib said, yeah, I won't, I won't take your city, but then he changed his mind and says, no, I'm coming. So he sends this word to the people, this messenger from Sennacherib, and he says, what do you put your confidence in? Confidence in? You should just surrender. Hezekiah is going to let you down. I don't know why you're listening to that guy. He says, you know what? You've got a God. That's great. So have all the other people I've conquered. They had gods too. I don't know what you think your God's going to be different than their gods because their gods didn't save them. You might as well just give up because it's going to go really badly for you. And the people are scared. The people are afraid. And Hezekiah stands up in front of the people. His words are recorded in, in chapter 32, verse 7 through 8. Here's what he says, and one of the reasons why we sung this song. We've heard this, these kind of words a lot, haven't we? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. Why? For there is a greater power with us than with him. Now, Hezekiah is not talking about his army. He is not talking about his walls. He's not talking about their power. He says, with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. One of the differences between Hezekiah and so many of the other kings of Israel is that Hezekiah didn't look to Egypt. He didn't look to other countries. He didn't look to chariots and armies. He looked to God. He said, God will fight our battles for us. And so Hezekiah, along with the prophet Isaiah, they pray to God, they, 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 they go to God in this supplication, and together they cry out, and guess what happens? Hezekiah's army doesn't have to lift a finger. So before Snacrib can even get his army to lay siege to Jerusalem, an angel of the Lord comes out and annihilates. Isaiah says somewhere around 180,000 men with their officers and their leaders, annihilates them in the middle of the night. They wake up the next morning and it says those who are still alive look around and there's nothing but dead bodies. And so Sennacherib has to, has to leave. He, he has no army left. This, this king who had come and conquered city after city after city has to leave in shame back to Nineveh. And at some point after he gets back to Nineveh, his own sons kill him to take the throne from him. He goes back destroyed by God. God fought the battle for Israel. Now, whether this psalmist is Hezekiah or not, he experienced what Hezekiah experienced because he says, there was a moment when everything seemed lost, when I thought we were going to lose it all, but I believed in the Lord. I cried out to him, and he saved me. We were delivered. To move towards a more confident faith, we have to learn out, learn to first and foremost cry out to God in our times of distress. To see things for how they really are. That there is a God who stands with us, who is stronger than anything we will ever face. Parents, what have you said to your children in their times of great distress? When they're afraid? I'm sure one of the things you said to them is, don't be afraid, I'm here, right? I'm here. Daddy's 
here. Mommy's got you. I'm right here. Your presence was what you offered them, wasn't it, in their fear. That's what God does. He says, don't worry. Whatever it is you're afraid of, I'm bigger than it. And I'm here. I'm with you. And so we must declare that. Now, to complement that movement towards trusting in God more, crying out to him more, is also this idea that we must lessen our trust and faith in the things of this world. Because some of us try to live in both worlds. Yeah, I trust in God, but I'm also going to you know, build a big bank account. Or I'm also going to, you know, and, and that's what the kings, again, kings of Israel do. Yeah, 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 we believe in God, but let's also call uh, Egypt up and get their army up here, right? We've got to lessen our faith in the things of this world. And so he says, again, reading on through, through Psalm 18, he says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. He says, I was tempted to trust in the things of this world. I was tempted to trust in princes, in powers, in armies. But instead, I trusted in the Lord and found that it is much better. Again, if Hezekiah wrote this psalm, then there's some insight that Isaiah can give us. Because Isaiah says in, in, in uh, Isaiah 37, he records the prayer that Hezekiah prayed to God. And here are the words of Hezekiah. He says, It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. I love here that Hezekiah doesn't, I mean, he recognizes that there is really a problem, right? That there really is an army at the gates, literally. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, yeah, this guy has conquered. This guy is dangerous. This guy has taken over a lot of places. But he also realizes that there's a difference between those enemies of Assyria and Israel. Those enemies put their faith in gods that weren't really gods. They put their faith in some things that they had created with their own hands. And they said, these things are going to get us through. And they didn't. Hezekiah says, there is a difference between us and them. Our faith is in the creator, not the created. Our faith is in the God who lives, who fights for his people. Sennacherib says, what do you have to be confident in? I've conquered all these other people, and they had gods too. What is your God going to make? How is your God going to be any different? Well, because our God's really God. But it's so easy when we face troubles in this world to look at them and think, this is over, I can't overcome this. This is too big. This is too much. I've got to, I've got to get some other things on my side. I've got, to, I've got to put some other faith in some other stuff. And God says, no, you just need me. You just need me. But let me tell you, there's going to be so many times in our life where we are going to be tempted to put our faith in other things, right? Things of this world. Especially when we feel inadequate or ill-prepared, 
sometimes even for things that God has called us to. I tell you, God, if God has called you to something, though, if God has called you to fill a need, to fill a ministry, to be in a relationship, to speak truth into someone's life, or just to comfort someone, if God has called you to something, then he will prepare you and equip you to do that thing. He will. I have no doubt in that. God does not call people to something and then not equip them for it. I can't tell you how many times I myself have relied on the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, when he says, my competence comes not from God, or from myself, but from God. He goes, I don't trust in myself to do the things that I do. I trust in God. God makes me competent. I can't tell you how many times, church family, that I have found myself in a situation where I realized this is above my pay grade. This is above my competence level. And I've relied on this verse. Just said, okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do here, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to think that I have to fix this or I have to come up with the answer. I'm going to trust in you. And God, over and over again, has done great things. When we turn to human power, to our own strength, our own intellect, or anything else of this world, guess what? We're going to get let down. Maybe not every time. Maybe not every time. But eventually and ultimately, we will be let down. And here's the thing. We will not grow confident in our faith in God, will we? If I keep turning to other things, how am I ever going to grow in that confident faith in God if I keep looking to other things to save me? Now, I don't mean that a faith in God means that we sit back and do nothing, right? Because even Hezekiah didn't do that. Even Hezekiah, in trusting in God, knowing that God would win the battle for them, he still prepared his city to be sieged because he didn't know when or how God was going to save them quite yet. So he still did things. He still prepared. It doesn't mean inaction. But it means that we rely on God to know that he's going to win our victory. The last point that I want to make comes a little bit further down in the chapter, uh, in verse 18. He says, The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The psalmist here declares that there has been a time in his life when God has chastened him. Now, that's not a word we use very much. But he says he has chastened me, but not, to the, not to, so much that he killed me. Now, I don't know about you, but when you use death as kind of the measuring stick for something, then you're saying it was pretty bad, right? I mean, if you say, you know, how was your surgery? Well, I didn't die, <laughs> right? How was vacation? Well, no one, no one, everyone's alive still, so, you know, there's that. I mean, that, that's not a very high measuring stick, is it? And there was a point when Hezekiah was struck with an illness, and God chastened him through that illness. In fact, he's, he was told, you're going to die. And Hezekiah humbled himself before God, and God relented from his anger and gave him more reign in his life. But to chasten means to humble, to punish to the point, for the point of moral correction, even to purify. I don't know about you, but when I think of chastening, I think of a coach. <laughs> I think of my football coaches I've had over the years, my, my basketball coaches, right? Sometimes putting their arm around you gently, instructing you sometimes in your face, telling you what you did wrong, right? 
chasing, humbling, correcting. What the psalmist says is that God has disciplined him, and quite severely. But is he upset about it? No. He thanks God for it. In fact, he believes that it is what has made him able to walk through the gates of the righteous. The chastening corrected something in him that wasn't right, and it continued to grow his faith in God, even more, than, than, even more so so that he could confidently count himself among the righteous. So we see that a person of confident faith accepts discipline from God. Now, how many of you really love to take rebuke and correction? Raise your hand. Love it? No. Right? Seeing you do that, I was thinking of, you know, the beatings will, will continue until morale improves, right? So I started thinking, <laughs> we love that one in the Navy, right? No, none of, us, none of us like it. None of us like to be corrected. None of us like to be rebuked. And I, I look back on my young adult years, I mean, I can't help but think about this. All the times that my mom and my dad tried so hard to correct me, right? Tried to chase me, tried to tell me how I was heading down the wrong road. And what did I do? I refused to be humble. I refused to be corrected. Either because I just thought I knew better or because I just didn't want to accept that I was wrong in the first place. How many times did my parents think, you know, Lynn, if you just take our correction, it's what's best for you, right? Well, I know my mom's watching. Mom, I, I, I think I know how you feel because I have teenagers now. And they are way better than I am or than I was at that age, way better. And I can't help but think of God saying, just accept my rebuke. Accept what I'm trying to do with you here. I know it's hard. I know it's not fun. I don't know if God says it hurts me more than it hurts you. I don't think he does, right? It hurts you more than it hurts me, right? I, 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 never, I promise to never say that to my kids. Um, he knows it's hard. But like refining metal, it has to go through the fire. It has to go through the fire. We have to be sometimes corrected, rebuked. A person of great confident faith is not a person who believes that they've got it all figured out right? I used to think that, that that's what confidence was. I've, I've got it all figured out. That's why I can be confident. That's not true. Or that I have no room for growth anymore. A person of great faith is confident not in their own purity, but in the fact that whatever it is in them that still needs to get pulled out, whatever needs to be corrected, God will deal with it. God will discipline it and correct it and change it. And they accept accept that rebuke because they know it's going to create righteousness in them. If you want to grow as a vibrant, confident person in God, you have to be able to accept rebuke, to accept correction. Sometimes that correction comes in the form of other people. Sometimes that correction comes in the form of Scripture itself. Sometimes that form comes in all kinds of discipline. And sometimes it's hard to know. But we cannot fight that. We must listen to God when he's trying to correct us. So the psalmist who wrote Psalm 118, whether it was King Hezekiah or someone else, gave us this beautiful picture, one who stands confidently in their faith. That person believes that God is who he says he is. He's the God of Scripture. He does not change, no matter the circumstance of their own life. That he trusts in God alone when trouble comes. That he does not trust in the powers of this world. 
and that throughout their life they accept the rebuke and the correction that God gives his children. Remember, a father who loves his children will discipline them. We tell our kids that all the time. We're doing this because we love you, not in spite of it. Of course, there is one major reason that we have, can have a confident faith in our God and our Savior. And it's hinted at at the very end of this psalm. Because of the stone that the builders rejected, that is Jesus Christ, who God has made the cornerstone, we can enter the presence of God with confidence. So if you would please stand. If you'll go to the last slide there. This morning, you are more than welcome, as you always are, to come and to put Christ on in baptism, to accept prayers uh, from the leadership here, whatever it is that you need this morning. We are a community that is here to help meet those needs through our God. But the words I'm going to leave you with are from Hebrews chapter 10. The confidence that we have in our God and our Savior because of what Christ has done for us. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. I hope that today and this week that God continues to build a confident faith in you as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers, as employees and employers, whatever role you fill, that you will bring a calm, confidence presence wherever you go. Let us stand and let us sing.